Hello and welcome back to 10 terabyte hard drive. My name is Joe Greenwood and you are listening to our review of Yoichi Sai's The Lady in the Black Dress and Patricia Masui's Travolta and Me. I tried with every episode to see if like there's some kind of disparate link that you could kind of find between the two movies and I think I did end up on one. It, it, every film's kind of chosen like somewhat accidentally or based on very sort of uh, trivial things such as I'd like to watch them. Um, but this one I think it kind of like lands on this idea of sort of um, poor decision making that both of the main characters go through or not even necessarily poor decision making but um, let's put it as maybe reckless let's say I mean from Travolta and me I described it as a feral movie and I would definitely not describe the lady in a black dress in that sense I'd say it's a lot more formally accomplished which we'll get into into the episode with my regular co-host Gareth who is uh, joining us on this episode anyway I've teased it a little bit there Listeners, you can contact us at 10 terabyte hard drive pod at gmail.com. We've also got the Instagram, which you can find linked below, and also the films themselves. They are in the links below in the mega upload link, where you'll also find a link to next week's episode, which uh, I'll reveal at the end of the podcast if you want to wait. Uh, if not, it's down there now if you want to dive in. Um, anyway, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, let's dive into the episode. So maybe about 20 people in that cinema and I watched Grave of the Fireflies right and I hadn't seen it because I was just like I want to save it I want to have a moment where I can watch this I can sit in the dark and I know I'm going to be overwhelmed bro I cried so much the top of my t-shirt was wet like it was it was that it was that bad it was that much like liquid left my face like I, it soaked me and I went into the toilets afterwards, and I just looked at myself, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, you are just a complete wreck. And then, you know, many years later, I ended up going to Hiroshima, and I went to that museum. And mm. obviously, like, I didn't think about the film then. Uh, what I thought about was, this is one of the most overwhelming, powerful things I've ever been to. And... I don't know, it did take me back to that moment afterwards of seeing that film. It didn't take me back to the film itself, and it's like, Jesus, that, that leap. It, it almost felt like I leapt through time in a moment of, like, it's had, like, these moments in my life that all linked to this horrendous tragedy. And, I don't know, it was, it was just a weird, overwhelming feeling that I had in that moment as well. It's, um, yeah. I don't know, powerful movie. That's all I can say about Crave of the Fireflies. <laughs> I know, it sounds glib. Sounds glib, but like, do you uh, what... do you put that up there with top top tier Ghibli then? Because I've I've heard conflicting views on that, and I suppose I've got conflicting views on that as well. Um, but given the fact that you had such a visceral, and I mean the film is kind of geared towards that, isn't it? Particularly geared towards uh, a very visceral emotional reaction. But then you've got the extra part of you actually being in Japan and 
having a, a kind of connected moment in that sense. Yeah. Did, does that push it for you right to the top of Ghibli or are you still a little bit... Like, I think a lot of critics are now a little bit more tepid around its reception. Really? Relative to oh, stuff no, like no. Totoro or some of the Miyazaki ones. I am... I've only seen it the once, that one time. And I kind of want to <laughs> Once is enough. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's just... I had this mad moment watching it it's just like okay if i have a kid and they get to a certain age i'm like right you're gonna watch good films like i'm not you're not watching buzz lightyear film or some crap like that you're gonna watch good ones <laughs> and they'll hate me for it they'll hate me for it but you know i presume ghibli will be a part of it at some stage um so i don't have any desire to go back i didn't realize there was a critical pushback against them are they saying like it's a bit like um not maudlin per se, but manipulative. Is that is that mm. the sort of thinking? Yeah, I think possibly overegging it to suggest pushback because I do think it's still very much a, a revered film. But in terms of, I, I think I think the maudlin aspect of it, or or potentially maudlin saccharine manipulative dimension of it, means that mainstream critics automatically put it as number one, and mm. more of the critics that you and I tend to follow and and uh and respect are a little bit more like okay like i'm a little bit cynical about that if it's trying to manipulate me emotionally you know maybe that's you know not uh maybe that's not meritus or maybe that's not in the mm. film's favor so i i wouldn't say pushback i think people still on both sides of the fence absolutely love it uh i think it's really brilliant too and i think you you probably do as well um yeah but there's there's certainly there's there's certainly a difference between it being like a number one, number two, number three Ghibli film in the mainstream circles that I've picked up on or I've observed. And it's probably more, you know, a, li- a little bit further down for, for let's say more highbrow critics, I guess. I'd put it top five for me in Ghibli. Mm. I, I, me personally. I mean, I, th- I think it's, I don't know. I just think it's a wonderful film. And I think to invoke that type of reaction out of a person, like, yeah, you can say it's manipulative, but in a way, aren't all films manipulative in their own ways? It's just that one's decided to, like, you know, put the accelerator down and be like, I'm going to get you. Type <laughs> like, you know, you're trying yeah. to run away from this car and it's it's like, I'm going to run you over. Like, you can try all you might, try all you might. You can say, like, oh, the, this is blah, 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 or well, that's bad about it. Yeah, it's just like, I'm going to get you. And it does, it does get me. <laughs> Or did yeah one time, and, and I and I'm, I I agree with you, and I'm more in the camp of the mainstream critics in this. If 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 that dichotomy that I've just outlined it has any value, whereas like if a film can actually uh, in if invoke some kind of visceral emotional reaction out of me, then I will then yeah. you know try to claim its you know merit subjectively, like trying to analyze it because I'm like, well, it wouldn't have been able to do that if it wasn't operating at a seriously sophisticated and high level. And I think Absolutely. that for me is the difference between like uh, Miyazaki and Takahata for me, which is I love Miyazaki's work, but I, I f- find myself viewing it with a little bit of a remove. Um, I'm not his biggest fan in that respect, even though I absolutely love his, his work and I love what he does. Whereas Takahata mm. for me, it, like really gets to the heart of me. Like a lot of his movies, like uh, Princess uh, Kaguya and stuff like that, like uh-huh. really like... Like it's, it's it, it, it really like gets me emotionally, and I'm like, well, maybe I, I don't I don't see that as manipulative and as as uh, disingenuous. I, I I see that as the complete opposite. I'm like, well, he must be operating on a very sophisticated level to invoke that reaction in the first place. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, with Miyazaki, I think the one that I there's one that I love, which is Mononoke. Mm, uh, the, the others, so good. the others that I I really like, but I don't love at the same level as that movie. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I need to go back in. It's been quite a long time since I've watched them. Um, I think the last time I watched Mononoke was actually with my sister, my younger sister, because she liked Ghibli and she liked Mononoke. Um, I think she still does. And I remember watching it with her. I must have been seventeen, maybe, and that was like the last mm. time I saw it. But I don't know, maybe I, I don't know. Maybe there's this thing of like maybe I should leave some things in in the past and wait for a perfect reason for him to watch them again. You know, and having a kid is probably one of the best reasons. But if I don't have a kid probably just watch them anyway so like what's that's not really much of a good rule is it <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I need to have a kid to rewatch these and i don't um uh, anyway yeah. is there like is there like a film that comes to your mind of like either you yourself have like reacted massively to it in that sort of tearful way or you've seen or heard someone do that because there's two by the way for me where i've heard someone and it was crazy but if you wouldn't mind wait yeah of <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, what? So, are you asking me? Because I think initially we talked about being a, a, a uniquely a cinematic experience, so something you experience, I guess, yeah. in public while watching the film. Or are you saying just? Yeah. Are you asking me just films in general? No, let's go cinematic, like in public, because you know you have to hide yourself, I guess. Uh, at some <laughs> point, so. Yeah, that's true. In uh, uh, for me, in uh, actually watching a film in cinema, probably The Irishman. I'm going to go really? for the Irishman. Yeah, I think so. Cause, wow. Because... That ending. Yeah, that ending. Like, I've almost, I probably won't be able to, like, kind of even communicate many interesting thoughts, feelings, observations, ideas around that film right now because, like, I'm still a little bit scared of what I saw that day. <laughs> uh, wow. So I'd never... And we talked about this a little bit on the Best of um, 2023 podcast where we mm. talked about... I think you and I quoted the same thing where we were like, if if, um, if Scorsese wants to make films that are five hours long, like, he can. Because yes. these films are these, you know, cumulative, um, tight, titanically epic fucking late masterworks that just mm. the longer they go on the more kind of emotional weight they accumulate and then by the end you're mm. just like fuck like that was the structure he was going for uh and knocking out of the park and i think killers of the flower moon took it in an in a, a direction that i wasn't expecting um but with the irishman i think that was that was almost like there was almost more of a potency to the irishman in, at least on the first viewing because i was like well i didn't I thought this was just going to be like a late, a uh, kind of late era, now digital, digitally shot version of like Goodfellas or something, like playing the right. hits almost. You know, you know, like Casino <laughs> plays the hits. I thought yes. it's like you guys, you're, you're going to be playing the hits again. Yeah, there'll be there'll be a different flavor to it. Um, there'll be a different mm. look and feel to it. Of course, there will be. But um, yeah, it'll be one of those kind of greatest hits movies, and it just wasn't like it wasn't that mm. at all. And the way that that film. Like, and I know it's been talked about, people have been quite critical of it for this. Um, not so much this time the ridiculous notion that he glamorizes the lifestyle, but this time that he's like elegaic or lamenting the death of the mm. lifestyle or so, some, some nonsense like that. I've barely even unpacked it. 
Um, and maybe you can lend some credit to it if you think there is some. But for me, The Irishman is like the one where it was the first film that I'd ever watched in the cinema on my own for one. You know, I wasn't that guy. Um, I'd never attempted that before. So that was a that was kind of a big moment. It was a three hour long fucking movie. I was in a particular emotional state of mind uh, at, at the time I watched it anyway. And like I said, I was just not expecting it to be the kind of... I didn't expect it to be as major as it was. I didn't expect it to rip out my soul in the way that it did as well. And I just wow. left that theatre like a changed person. Um, not only confident that it was a masterpiece, but also like in floods of tears. And it was very embarrassing because, you know, that wasn't shared by everyone. But I think, I feel like in the Curzon in... Um, where did I watch it? In uh, in Old Gate East, where I was. I, I feel like a lot of people oh, wow. who were watching it that day like had a similar reaction. Like there, there was definitely a feeling coming out of it that, you know, I think typically people might think, oh, well, coming out of it, everyone would be like, oh, God, it was too fucking long. But I feel like everyone coming out of it felt, no, it was just the right length. And I don't know mm. that, whether that's just me projecting or whether that's how it really was. But, you know, I, I certainly was incredibly moved by it. And I don't feel like I was the only one. I certainly was the one who was crying the most, though, that's for sure. I had that crying the most when I saw Killers of the Flower Moon, where it was like, literally about six <laughs> minutes later, I was still crying. And it was like, I, I, it killed me. But The Irishman, I remember seeing it that day. I, I cried at the ending. And I remember that same day, I was just like, all right, I'm going to double bill something. And that the new Almodovar film was out, Pain and Glory. And I was just like, I'm going to go see Pain and Glory afterwards. And I just couldn't do it. I was just like, I can't, I'm so overwhelmed by what I've just yeah. seen. And I was just like, I can't watch another film for at least a couple of days now. I need to like rest on this. And man, that closing shot of The Irishman is just this this moment of like, what have I done with my life? Yeah. And like I've had one life and this is what I chose to do and my family don't even want to talk to me. My one daughter. It's just, how is that not one of the most potent things to you? And people go like, it's a bit long. Oh, okay, is it? Yeah, cheers. It should have been a Netflix series. Yeah. Oh, Oh, God. (laughs) Honestly, you don't understand. You don't, just say, I don't understand it. Which is fine. Honestly. Yeah. It's not for you. Move on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think you're right. I don't want to, I'm not going to get too personal on the pod, but in terms of, I think there's a, a universality to that. I don't think. Uh, it, it very much resonates with me, but I think you'd be a fool to not suggest that it resonates with you. And it, and that's what I think is more potent than in Goodfellas or in Casino, which I think are obviously masterpieces as well. Mm-hmm. There's there's universal things, and Wolf of Wall Street, you know, another crime movie mm-hmm. where the themes are. It's like you can't recognize yourself in the characters, particularly, but there's still a no. human dimension to it, and that and and I think that it finds its purest, most truest articulation in the end of the Irishman, which is exactly as you just articulated. Like, this is what I've done with my life. What the fuck? You know, what was what was yeah. that all for? And I think that is a human condition um, thing. Like, he touched on a universal truth there in a way that was mm. so almost like poetic. And I don't think he's particularly... Well, he, he's maybe reached... You know, he's maybe hinted at that idea before, but I find that idea finds its purest expression at the end of the Irishman. Mm. God, that's, that's such a good show. Uh, by the way, the two times where I've seen a person like lose it in a cinema, the first time, what a weekend me and my dad had. We went to the cinema three times on the Friday night, Saturday night, and the Sunday. Friday, we saw No Country for Old Men. On the Saturday, we saw There Will Be Blood. And then on the Sunday, we saw um, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. We still talk about that weekend. Like, wow, what a weekend, Joe. 
Brilliant, man. It's like, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Diving Bell and the Butterfly, there was a woman sobbing, like, viscerally sobbing, like, like, it, like, almost like screaming through her tears. Like, that's how painful she found the movie afterwards. I was like, Jesus Christ. I was, I was a bit like, all right, like, it's not, all right. And, and then my dad had to be like, probably something's happened to her recently. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. F- fair enough. Fair enough. Like, shitmates to be taking someone to that. But, you know, th- if they've gone through something <laughs> like that recently. True. And then the other one, I don't know if you've seen, are you a fan of the Day of Bell and the Butterfly? Uh, no, I've not seen it. Oh, okay. I ca- so I can't say I am, no. Uh, and then the other one was Tom Ford's A Single Man, if you if you saw that. That one I did movie? see back in the day, yeah. That was uh, uh, Colin Firth, right? Colin Firth, yeah. Uh, yeah. Where he plays like a, a professor who's, is he gay or something? He's going to be like, he's right. attracted to one of his students, yeah. And yeah. He, he, spoiler alert, kills himself at the end. I saw that at the Tricycle in North London, and um, great cinema, great cinema, and uh, I was tearing up at the end, and then again, this woman, she must have been like, it was one row in front of me to my left, was sobbing, sobbing, where like, everyone was like looking around going like, is she alright? And like, someone was trying to console her, and she was just bereft, bereft crying. I wonder if it was the same woman from the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, actually. You know, I think it was similar. <laughs> Is this just her thing? She goes sees Transformers and is just like <laughs> absolutely bereft. Like this, it's so sad. How that human soldier character died. Anyway, whatever. Those were the two where I saw a person just die in front of me, and it was um, yeah, it was quite something. Quite something. Anyway, I don't know if you've had anything like that where you've seen observed a person. No, I, unfortunately, like I can't that. say I have, and that, that's another reason why I, I think if I'd have been, if I'd have seen that before. Um, and I've seen some fucking sad movies, like some movies that make me cry at home, like One from the Heart, Love Streams, Cassavetes. Uh, I've oh. seen these movies in public, you know, and like I haven't observed other people like reacting to the way that I would react to them back home. And I think I put on a bit of a front in the way that when I'm when I'm just it's just me in the movie and I'm at home, the tears are going to come if if it's that kind of picture. Um, mm. And not, but not in public. I can I can rein it in in public. One of the reasons why I found the Irishman moment so profound was that you know I couldn't I couldn't hold it back. And in my experience, as you say, like I've never seen someone you know unleash in public over a movie like you have in two instances. Um, and I kind of wish I had now because like that that would make me feel a little bit better about the fact that it happened to me during Irishman, and also you know mm. just give me a bit of faith in humanity as well. That people are yeah. still, you I mean, know, I, I, reacting to movies in a in a real and human way. I I let it rip whenever, like whenever it happens. The funniest one, actually, now that I think about it, was when I went to see I went to see Francis Ha with my dad. And good movie. I was just like, all right, yeah, very good movie. I love that film. And I was just hmm. like, I don't think my dad's gonna like this, but you know, whatever else, we'll go have a look. And then I turned to him at the end of the film, and he is just crying his eyes out at that movie wow just like, it's, it's just so beautiful i was just like it's like yeah i guess like it's pretty good dad yeah but whatever else oh yeah. man anyway, anyway mr greenwood a legend yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh bless him um right uh speaking of i didn't cry but i cried at the quality of kino on display here for the Lady in a Black Dress, the first film I've ever seen 
by Yoichi Sai, Japanese filmmaker mm. from 1987. Um, I'm going to do my per usual move of just reading the letterboxed uh, synopsis here, and then that's all the plot you're going to get from us. Uh, here we go. Uh, a woman named uh, Fujiki Asuka arrives as an acquaintance of a sister-in-law for a day under the barmaster Tamara, who had guided Yakuza's escaping as a soji. Tamara, who lives on the second floor of the store for the time being, the son who wants to work here. This is a weird translated <laughs> synopsis. Yeah, it is. Later, Tamara finds a handgun from Yuko's baggage and holds a suspicion. Now, um, that makes it sound quite complicated. In reality, it's simple. Young girl, on yeah. the run, ends up as a bar, and this guy is kind of becomes sort of uh, has to realize he has to hide her and move her away because people are after her um and then he gets dragged down into it the barmaster um tamara now i've got to say i was so blown away by this movie you like, were after every, <laughs> after every cut after every cut there was a new like shot like camera angle setup and i was just like i couldn't quite believe it of like the level of like cinematography and kino on display mm. in this film and i don't know man like i was just it was one of those times where i was so overwhelmed by the form of it that it's, i couldn't just help falling in love with it and also I had this really weird moment of like we really recognize this actress from her voice and i realized like, i've seen her in like four different movies they're all obayashi films like the little girl who conquered time, the island close to heaven, which I watched for the first time recently. She's been in quite a few Obayashi movies. Is that the lead actress? Really? Is it the lead actress? Yeah. Ah, and interesting. Yeah, I was really taken by this film. I'll mm. pass the baton on to you. What was your reaction to this movie? Because man, I was smoking this keen out hard. <laughs> like I was hitting the pipe <laughs> hard on it. Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, it was fucking great. Um. It just it looks incredible, and there's moments where it looks like beyond more than just like okay, this looks good for what it is, which is a, a, a incredibly obscure, um, forgotten kind of like uh, city pop noir um, based on a novel. Oh. Um, again, I'm I'm not sure if the I think the author is is fairly well known in Japan, um, but I don't think you know it's it's probably like a short story or. You know, not not like a not like a particularly well known novel. Like the whole film is kind of not shrouded in mystery, but there's not really much written about it or said about it. So, um, not that I do this podcast in that way and try and you know learn everything about the film before I go into it. I like the fact that you're you know just and I wanted to ask you actually as well, like what what kind of led you towards this movie because I think probably out of all the movies that we've um, covered on Ten Terabyte Hard Drive so far, this might be the one that had the least reception in any way um mm. you know follow quite a lot of people on letterbox that you know mutuals of you and i and not really anyone had talked about it um but i'm only really saying that to connect it to your question which was did i did i like it did i respond well to it hell yeah like it was fucking <laughs> it was beautiful it reminded me of um because i've not seen enough of those kind of like yakuza pictures um mm. uh, you know that i should have you know that's like the kind of thing i i would love and this mm. one had that kind of and i've but i played a few of the games like we talked about the games off pod and uh this had like oh right yeah there was there was, there was a bit of yakuza zero vibes around this one because obviously same time period and everyone just looks yes. amazing in this movie 
Um, oh my God. In the way that I described Christmas again as seasonal affect the movie in our pilot, I'm going to describe this movie as Wavy Garms the movie because it, <laughs> it had the that... best clothing I've ever seen in a movie. Oh my God. Ever. Um, like it was actually outrageous how fucking sick everyone looked in this movie. Um, the So I, I the, 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 the bit of reading I did do, the girl was apparently an idol. Um, yes, and and she wanted to transition into more kind of adult roles and stuff. And I do think you know, and I do think this is a very flawed film. I I didn't quite go the whole nine yards that you went with it, despite mm. the fact I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, and one of the flaws I think is her her kind of lightweight performance, but at the same time she is incredibly beguiling to look at, and she looks mm. great. You know, he he frames her fantastically. Um, so the idea that even though I don't think the plot particularly handles this idea very well, it has this kind of like rug pull at the end where it's like, she really was the woman in black. And it's like, well, yeah, I don't uh, think you've really established that very well, but <laughs> you know, I, I, I think you, we, you and I have a difference of opinion on that. But I think, I think there's enough here. Uh, and my God, like you, like you said, like the, the pure unadulterated keynote that this movie serves up at times I'm going to mm. pass it back to you before I ramble too much because I've been a little bit incoherent. But in terms of... <laughs> okay, it's all right. I, 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 I definitely want you to pick up on things that I really liked about it and flesh out if you could. Things like um, the scenes in the bar and how kind of slow they are, but how captivating mm. they are. And the, oh, the score as well that kind of under underpins all of that. You know, the jazzy score, the J-pop score. that. Uh, yeah, I'm going to pass it back to you and I'm going to have a look at my notes because this is a weird movie where I don't want to undermine your reception to it because I, I, I know where you're coming from. I just don't, mm. I'm not on the same page as you with it in terms of loving it as much. I think it's deeply flawed and a little bit lightweight in places, but I cannot deny some of like the most ravishing, you know, Kino for that kind of era of Japanese movie mm. that I've ever seen. I mean, the sunset shot. Can we start with the sunset shot? That might oh be one of the best days. shots ever, right? That's got to be one of the yes. best shots of all time. There's that great. There's a great bit later on in the movie where um, uh, Harada. The, I'll just go by her act by her real name, mm. uh, Tomoya Harada, where she's on the phone and she's kind of disappeared from the scene and you got the three guys who are kind of in this bar, this dingy bar, and then you cut to her, and she's shot with this sunset in the background. And it's a real sunset that's happening in the background. And it's it's it looks so fake, almost. It looks like a matte painting. But because of a couple screenshots I took, I realised, like, oh, actually, the sun is setting behind her. Like, yeah. it's moving downwards. And it's like, how? How they found that place to set up that phone booth to get that shot. It does look like something almost like a Powell and Pressburger movie. It does, like, yeah. The... Yeah, you're right. I, I think top 10 shots maybe ever, which given that I kind of expressed a few doubts about the film, that's crazy, isn't it? That might be one of the yeah. best shots I've ever seen, like genuinely. Yes. I'm sorry, I can't stop yeah. talking about it. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, that shot is incredible. And how she's sort of like, there's a couple shots of people framed within uh, phone booths like there's the um, the detective where like he's in the phone booth and you've got like the stickers for like the prostitutes in there and there's a bit where he's just smoking you see the smoke just come through from the neon lighting of the street behind you know kind of catching the smoke and sort of elevating it giving it a bit of body and there's just a f God, just so many moments where like the craft of it is like sublime and 
do you know what it is is that like you picked up on some plot issues and it mm. kind of like snagged you i picked up on the plot issues and i'm like yeah but it looks beautiful so i can forgive yeah. it like and that's kind that's kind of the thing that i want in films is just like okay let's say some plot element doesn't quite make sense or it doesn't yeah. quite cohere or whatever else if you can just hit me with like a level of kino and a level of cinema that is just so overwhelming that it kind of just propel, like propels you I, forward i i respect um, that and i'd i'd rather be more in that camp than I, than i am and i i was hmm. analyzing this when i looked at some of the the very few i mean there, there is literally only a handful of people that have talked about this movie online and mm. a lot of the people who kind of um, dismiss it as, as kind of lightweight, despite, you know, enjoying a lot of its charms at the same time, um, say something I profoundly disagree with, which is they say that the plot doesn't get going until 30 minutes in because the, the core the core thing that happened that kind of drives the whole plot forward happens off screen. And it's true. That's objectively true. That is what happens. Mm. So, so, so essentially they're... Their critique, their critique of it is that there's nothing um, to really grip you within those first thirty minutes. Now I'm the complete opposite to that. My mm. enjoyment of it was mostly in the first thirty minutes, where that ambiguity and that vibes first approach was emphasised. Where it's like, yeah, we we don't know who that Yakuza guy is. We don't know why um, Reiku was walking, uh, why she was hitchhiking away from. Uh, into Tokyo, mm. rather on on the mo- mm. on the motorway, um, we don't know who the yakuza guy is. We don't know who Tamura is. You know, uh, he's he's a mm. he's a bar guy, but he seems to have vague connections to the mob. You know, all these little mm. interesting like you know uh, snippets and tidbits that the film is kind of laying out for you, but not really explaining in a conventional way. I thought that was mm. one of the film's core strengths. Like that yeah. is that is really rich and interesting, but. It's only once it gets to the end, it starts to explain itself a little bit more. That's when I go, oh, well, actually, it was a little bit lightweight. Or maybe it was a bit of a problematized adaptation of the novel where maybe right. that was fleshed out a little bit more. And maybe this vibe's first approach hindered it being satisfactory on a on a plot level a little bit. But yeah. o- overall, I'm with you. Like I, I want films to be uh, image-focused more than story-focused. And I want them to be kino more than i want them to make sense in a kind of conventional way and in that sense that's, this film did deliver that's that's a netflix series mindset that these people have it I is just do not yeah i do not abide by that and also that thing of like you said like well in the first 30 minutes you don't know this like it's like have you never watched like a peak studio film noir where you're like Burt Lancaster is pumping gas in a small town and he's this weirdo that's just turned up out of nowhere who knows exactly. what's go- oh this film doesn't make any sense how do you know like that is the essence it's, of it's, a, it's a Jacques Turner isn't it out of the past it's like peak out of the past yeah like you don't I mean, know what the fuck's going th- on for about an hour yeah there's that whole theory of like there's two types of movies which is a stranger comes into town or a stranger leaves town like there's the theory you know like they say oh there's six types yeah, of stories yeah. there's, there's some that you can even break down further into just those two categories and it falls into the category of actually both of those stories of like a stranger comes and a stranger leaves and I really don't mind like how lightweight the plot is because it just moves at a pace that I can just ride with. And like, mm. oh, it re- it's revealed that, um, you know, um, later on in the movie, there, there was a murder that this young girl was involved with and that there's like a business deal or whatever else. And it's like, yeah, okay, yeah, it's maybe a bit lightweight, but it moves at such a pace that I can't, 
like fault it like at that point i'm like gripped by it there's an amazing yeah. sequence in the middle of the movie that we'll go into which I, I thought this was kind of like the best moment of the movie which is she runs off she goes clubbing the old guy's yes. in the bar drinking and then your man tomorrow goes off to look for her and then he gets beaten up by yakuza and it keeps <laughs> cutting back between the three of them for about like five six minutes so tomorrow fighting like a dog and they're like screaming at each other and crying and like as he's beating them with like a log and they're beating the crap out of him as well and that sequence like going between the three of them i thought was just incredible. it's fantastic like it had, yeah yeah it's, it's got a really like uh rough shod like i don't really give a shit about you know what i'm communicating right now i just want to i just want the scene to be abrasive um mm. feel about it um uh, in terms of the cross cutting between those two sequences that you that you articulated um my favorite shot in the movie despite it not actually being the shot that we over you know really really exaggerated the the beauty of and and articulate the beauty of is the one uh, in that sequence when they're in where where she's in the disco that wonky fucking like uh disco tune is insane by the way i i need to find yes. out what the hell that was like is it um <laughs> Oh, who's um, Saka, Sakamoto's band? It sounds like something like... Oh, Yellow, Ma- Yellow Magic Orchestra. Yeah, it sounds like a Yellow Magic Orchestra, like B-side or something, but it's, it's so wonky, it's brilliant. But yeah, the, the shot yeah. is... Um, it's a low-angle shot, and it's a fourth wall break by her because she looks at the camera. So you've got yes. the low angle, it's canted, and it's only you only see it twice, he only cuts back to it twice, but she looks at the camera both times, and it's yes. like... It's at this Dutch angle, and you're like where the fuck did you pull that from like what yeah, that is yeah. i've not seen a, a shot like that in a in a club scene or a you know a discotheque almost, scene because it's, it's an 80s like when, movie before when they're cutting between that and him being beaten up and they cut to her like with that wonky dutch angle it's almost like she's like are you enjoying this like are you enjoy which part of this are you enjoying right now do you want to leave <laughs> yeah. the beating and be here okay cool all right we'll go back to the beating and it's like Oh my god! Like it's it is such a weird moment. She's doing like this weird like lunging dance down because the camera's so low that she's kind of like diving into the camera. Just, yeah, it was Good a very aggressive moment. It's almost as aggressive as like him being beaten up by the yakuza. Like he was. It's it's a very abrasive moment and a, an abrasive thing to do. Mm. Again, did did you feel that, Joe? Did you feel that about the car chase as well? Was there enough kind of oh, muscular? Yeah, I loved it. I, I I was just thinking, God, how the fuck did they free up these streets of Tokyo on the budget that they were presumably working on? Because mm. they're just literally going through like pretty, re- if you've been to Tokyo, like pretty recognizable like parts of Tokyo yeah. and it's just completely empty <laughs> and they're able yeah. to like drive the cars through there and crash them all like in that kind of 70s Hollywood way. It's it's great. The, I, love, the only, I love seeing it. The only thing I can think of from my time, like having been to Tokyo, is that I got a taxi once very late at night and this guy was driving through, and uh, he started to ignore the rules of the roads. Um, mm. And but it was quite—it was like maybe one o'clock in the morning. Roads were quite empty, like at that, at least in that area. So maybe it was just done very late at night. Mm. You know, I don't really know what the budget level of this movie was. I presume it was fairly decent, considering she was quite a big idol star. Yes, so they, and she'd been in a few movies at that time. Um, and actually, the older guy was in. Um, the uh gangster series uh battles without honor and humanity that's right yeah yeah is it shoji Um, i can't remember his name in the film shoji 
It's um, uh, yeah, Soji, Shoji. Yes, Shoji. Yeah, he he. By, by the, the way, way, is magnetic as fuck. Like he he for me anchors the yes. whole film in this. I love I love um, Tamura. Tamura is great as well as as the yeah. lead. He's very stoical and um, you know handsome and interesting uh, and soulful. But I found Shoji's character was the one where I was like, I can believe that guy was in the Yakuza, and he really sold yes. it for me. He he was the heartbeat of the movie for me. He's got like an old school movie star weight to him. Like he just mm. walks into a room, doesn't say much, and it's just like you're drawn to him. And he also has that amazing coat and sunglasses he has on. Like he looks the end great. Of the movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he looks, looks fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was the that was those were the clothes where I'm like, those are the ones I want the most. Along with I don't think I could pull it off, but that yellow jacket that guy kept wearing. Oh, the dealer. Jacket. Yeah, the random yeah, little yeah, dealer yeah. guy. Yeah, I, that was a good with the white pants as well, the white trousers. Yes. Well. He looked fucking great. Um, yes, there's right. a line. There's a line in this film that really like resonated with me as well, which I've noted down. And 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 this is another thing why I think the plot is can be you know fairly you know argues being a bit lightweight. So I'm like, what, what was he doing in the film? But that could have just been yeah. me. Uh, we've been through this before, and you've kind of explained it to me. But the uh, Shoji and Tamura's like associate guy, um, who who's hmm. like a who's like an alcoholic and he his first scene is when they're in that like fucking amazing like white honda car and they're driving through the streets of tokyo and he says no booze no women my life is over without them and i was like god that's that's just really speaking to where i'm at right now <laughs> 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 uh, but i have no oh, idea man. what his purpose in the film was i never was able to realize like what who he was in the I just in the quite convoluted dynamics of the of the plot. He just wants to hang out with the boys. I think he just wants to. I be think like what are you what are you what are you lads up to? <laughs> yeah, I'll get involved in this weird deal with the yakuza. Yeah, fuck it. I'm not, I'm, old. I'm not doing it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He was he was there for he was there on vibes alone, which is why we were there as well. Yes, and also we're talking about you know specific shots, the Dutch angle where she dives into the camera, the phone, but. The opening shot of this movie. Oh, my favorite, Rain. my number one out of the three that we've talked about. That's my numero uno. That sets the scene like nothing else. It's, it's like you know you're in a city pop film. You know you're in like a J-pop film. You know you're in a noir mm. film. You know you're in a yakuza film. Uh, you know you're in an eighties film. But the warmth mm. that comes off that kind of thirty-five millimeter um, cinematography and the the sunset coming it's 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 like manhunter isn't it it's that kind of like aesthetic. oh yes yes it really does have that feel actually kind of the mm. whole movie has kind of a like washed out night feel like some of the lights yeah. are just a bit bit too bright aren't they but that opening shot where you, you have like the shot out onto the sea the the pan round and craning down onto the motorway as she's walking along the motorway gets picked up by some guy in a super sick car oh my god the, oh the black bmw yeah and, and you're right the yes. reverse shot the reverse shot from that opening shot where she when you then see the waves coming in and you're and it's framing it from the side of her walking up the highway that is almost mm. as good as the opening shot like yeah the, those first two shots are like oh god the level that this film attains from a for lack of a better word kino perspective is makes it worth any of our listeners taking the time out and just putting this on if they want if they're into that kind of shit because it we looks could, we, fantastic we could knock out a very quick t-shirt of like that reverse shot of the water coming in 
and her walking along and then just having like Kino written underneath it. So listeners, if you want to spend <laughs> £38 on that, £10 <laughs> if you're abroad, uh, that will be coming soon. Uh, but the, um, uh, <laughs> the, yeah, just, I don't know. That, that I think this is why I jived with it a little bit more than you because yeah. you know, I've got full love for this movie. And people have said that this isn't even his best movie, so it might actually end up getting knocked down a racing because of that. For sure, um, for sure. Um, but that first viewing for me, it was so like, I don't know, I felt like I'd been refreshed. Like, you know, you know you'd know, you have my head dunked into the water and like reborn in a way, because it was like, why can't more things be like this? This is easy, no? Like, you've all got the yeah. money and you've all got the time and like the effort and it takes to do this and as someone who's made films i know what level of effort it takes to make a movie it's tiring it's a, it's a hard thing to do but is it this not a proof positive that you can make films of this quality yeah and a I, huge I, amount of money i think i think you've just articulated where we come at films in a in a different way um uh, which mm. might be interesting for the listeners i think you're i'm certainly more in this kind of like not elevated in a significant way or a meaningful way, just in my own fucking head way. Um, <laughs> but I'm always looking for like something to be like uh, at like masterpiece level because you know right. I've seen enough movies and I, I I'm like searching for that next one that's gonna you know potentially crack the the top thirty. Whereas I think with you, you're a lot more generous in the sense that you're looking at it more from the filmmaker perspective rather than the film critic perspective. And and I and what I've enjoyed about doing this pod with you is I've more shifted towards your mindset in terms of a lens with which to view these films. And I'm totally in agreement with you that this film made me feel that that same way. My overriding feeling of this film, which I liked very much, same as you, was why if it's if it's this easy to do it this good, why aren't more films made like this? You know, mm. and. Uh, yeah. A lot of it, a lot of it, I I concede massively comes down to time period, tone, era, technology in terms of the cameras and the lenses it was shot and whatever. But like it just, it was so humble in its ambitions. It almost it followed through the Godard philosophy, didn't it? That all you need is a beautiful woman, a gun, um, yeah, and a camera to make the film, and, yeah. and they follow through that philosophy, that driving philosophy through to its end. But like everything is very. You know, it's very simplistic. It's very understated, but it delivers an experience that you know, where we live in an era where Hollywood are throwing hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds at movies, and they can't even invoke or evoke like a tenth of what this movie can deliver. You know, yeah. that's when you start to feel a little bit sad about the state of where we're at right now. I guess. I mean, there there is some uh, a theory that actually now, if we're going to go to sort of like modern filmmaking, is that actually because of the technological shift that we've had from film to digital is that people have actually lost the skill of lighting. Like yes. Lighting is, and they is have. Quite a, a, <laughs> yeah, for sure. They have for sure. They have now. Yeah. I am always forgiving of very low budget films with the lighting. Like if it's like, I'm just going to light things naturally. I'm not going to set up lights. I'm like, that's fine. And I totally get that. If you're doing a $250 million adaptation of wicked, uh, you better like that. You better like that movie because the Wizard of Oz. You gotta like is... that shit. Yeah. <laughs> you have to. I'm sorry, man. You're spending that much money on it. You're taking that long. Oh, uh, I wish it. I hadn't invoked it though. I wish I hadn't even raised it because it's the. 
it is the apotheosis again. And I never, I, I keep thinking, God, that'll be the Nadir, you know, when something like Cats comes out in 2016. But then Wicked comes out in 2024 and it looks even worse. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, man. Like, yeah, where, it, why, why, have we, why have we reached this Nadir? And why do we keep plumbing the depths so that rock bottom is a concept that keeps shifting? Like, surely we would have reached a point where, like, okay, we accept it. It's not acceptable to make a movie at a 300 million budget and it looks like this. And that'll be the end of it. But we keep getting worse somehow. We keep actually, you know, plumbing new depths with that. It's because we don't allow artists, like actual filmmakers, to make these movies. And then when you get the odd one who's able to get up there. I mean, even ones who are like, you know, I'm not even a huge fan of, like, David Lowry. But, like... He's got a sense of craft. He's got a sense of vision where I'm like, okay, he can form a movie. I mean, I quite like him. I like The Old Man and the Yeah, I, was a decent movie. I do too. Anyway. I, ju- I just think even guys like that get swallowed up by the machine. But you're right. Yeah, we should move on. That it, that that This will become a different podcast to the one that we're trying yes. to do if we start talking yeah, about that exactly. for too long. So yeah, moving on. Uh, uh, um, yes, the lady in a black dress. I mean, I was just so blown away by it to the point where all i want to do is watch this guy's movies now um there's one that i'm looking at called all under the moon where i'm like this looks oh, like hell a, yeah. a potential potential banger quick quick shout out for the listeners actually one of the few reviews on this movie and i will link this when we post it on our instagram is actually a review of the soundtrack on a like oh. a vinyl vinyl head website i should have sent it to you but i, I only just record it now and uh, they are not particularly enamoured with the film, although I'm not, I'm not sure how qualified they are to talk about film. Uh, not saying we are, but maybe they're not no, either. Uh, but they, 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 they very much like the soundtrack, which I think for me is arguably the MVP of the movie. It is sublime. Uh, so mm. I will link that when I post it on Instagram for everyone to check out. And I think it's you can only really indulge it through YouTube and stuff, but my God, what a soundtrack. I mean, I'm not mm. just talking about the j- the jazz music and the... The end of e- the end of Evangelion cover of "Fly Me to the Moon" makes an appearance in one of the in one of the bar scenes, which are my favorite yes. parts of the movie. Uh, yeah. Fantastic, uh, but just the just just the main theme, that main theme of the film that reoccurs maybe like six or seven times throughout the movie, it's unbelievable. It's like the pinnacle of ambient city pop. So, yeah, this vinyl website recommends that tune and says it's the high point of the work. Of the artist whose name I will not be able to remember, but I will link it. And if anyone wants to listen to that, that they should and they can. Excellent, excellent. Uh, should we do a bit of rating then? Like, should we go? Uh, I'll go first. I gave it a five. Like I was, <laughs> it's it, like, can I justify it? Of course not. But like, it was just such a man. It was such a delight watching a movie like this. And you know, I I don't know, man. Like I was so blown away by it the performances of it, of it are superb um they managed to capture sort of like a i don't know like the nighttime feeling of being in a big city they you know, did there, there, there's there's a certain quality that's hard to capture you know i i, I watched a, a film recently called the kitchen um, it was directed by the guy um the actor i forgot his name the uh, daniel Kalua, is that his name? The the British yeah. guy who who was yeah, in Widows. Yeah, yeah. I watched that, and it's set in London. It's set in like the somewhat near future, and um, it just couldn't capture nighttime in a city. Like they just didn't do it. They weren't able to do it. And mm. I really do think that there is a lost craft gone there. And I think that for me, I want 
I, I don't want to give this five stars to elevate it so people see it just for the lighting and be like, this, this is a level craft. I do think it is that good. Yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a craft to this that I think should be praised that is just yes. not there. I, I, think I really I, want people to see it. I, I agree. I, I would like people to see it. I'm going to give it three and a half, but I would say, and I don't want to really even justify that. I do think that there's, there's elements of it that are a little bit lightweight that um, I was more... Um, kind of aware of not aware of that's mm. the wrong word like i was just more like okay i'm giving it this for this reason whereas you were more kind of generous in your reading of it and i think i think that is equally valid and i actually mm. emphasize people to look at it through your lens more than they looked at it through <laughs> mine but when when you no. uh wh when you talk about um the kalua daniel kalua movie you watched in london uh that didn't capture that vibe like it immediately made me think of something like um like untrue the album by burial which really captures oh. that like night bus vibe of london and and I, and I would say just for people who are interested maybe to watch um this movie this is like the tokyo equivalent of of burial in what burial does in untrue oh, where it fe like when i was I, i've walked in I've walked for hours and hours in Tokyo at nighttime in the three hmm. weeks I've spent in that city. And hmm. it felt like this movie. And this was like, hmm. uh, yes, it was a romanticized version of that. And there's Yakuza elements and stuff, but the vibe and the tone is the same. And when I go on a night bus in London, it feels like burials untrue. So I'm like comparing the two in the sense that there's an authenticity there that is shared across that, which, you know, wasn't replicated in the, in the movie you just referenced with uh, with Kalua, who is great, I love Kalua, but yeah, not 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 He's replicated actor, in the same yeah, way. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good show. Actually, that's a really good show. It does. There is something to art that's able to capture a feeling that's kind of hard to put your finger on, like that. Yeah, a bit intangible, a bit ineffable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Berry on album is a great example of that. Like it's mm. so, I mean, it's a perfect. It's album. just it's it's hyper specific, isn't it? It's like the milieu, or the backdrop, or what it's trying to invoke is so specific to a mood, to a feeling, to a tone, to an atmosphere. Mm. And if a film can do that, and then it's attached to a place, which I think this film does, and it's probably its greatest strength, then you know you're onto a bit of a winner there. Mm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, right before we move on to the second film, which I do realise that. When we get, whenever we do these episodes, I'm like, what's the link between them? I actually do realise there is a link to this film. Um, oh. <laughs> I just want to plug an event that's going on. Double Wonderful is a cinema screening uh, series. Uh, friends of the show, um, they uh, they emailed me Dan from there. Uh, they've got a couple screenings coming up. They've got one on the 26th of February. Operation Filmmaker is showing a film that. Um, Dan's recommending that you don't know too much about before going into. Um, if you go to their Instagram, um, which is uh, Double Wonderful Events on Instagram, you can find a link to the event there. Um, I'm just plugging it because uh, Dan seems like a lovely man. Been uh, bigging us up. So, you know, if you want to get plugged on this, send me an email. Tell me how great I am and then I'll plug whatever you want. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm happy to do that. Uh, so, Dan, you're welcome. Uh, 26th, uh, that's in uh, Victoria in Dalston. They're going to be showing it. The Victoria, oh, I believe. My old home. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, of course. Same for me. The <laughs> oh, God, yeah. It takes me back. It takes me back to it that takes me back. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, Yeah. Quite, 
quite something. Um, yeah. What else? What else was I going to say? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, Dan, you're welcome. And maybe me and Gareth will be there. I won't, but you know, Gareth might turn up. Who knows? Sure. And, uh, and actually, if you do go, if you listen to this podcast and you do go, uh, go speak to Dan and say Joe sent me here. So you're welcome. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's uh, this, uh, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> No, I was just going to say, um, I wanted to give an opportunity to plug uh, our Instagram just because it's a good way for our followers to engage. Do you want to talk about this now? Because I had I had a response to a question we asked on the last episode. And we can obviously yeah. cut it if it's not relevant. Or do you want me to, no, to no, dedicate a you know, couple of minutes to it? Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, we've we've got our Instagram up and running now probably a little bit less archaic than emailing us in questions and i was uh i was talking about the palace which was our film that we discussed last week and i asked mm. the question um i asked the question whether it was the worst film uh, ever made by a great director and i think that you know i did say that in the last episode mm. so I, i'm coming back to it now and we had listeners an absolutely fantastic response to this that I have flagged yes. on Twitter already, but I think it's it's worth putting on the pod as well for posterity. Um, by friend of the pod, um, Jack McElroy. He is a cool guy. He's uh, very very engaged with us. Yeah, really cool guy. And uh, <laughs> his response was act- actually insanely good for this question, which is Nick Roeg's full body massage, which I think Joe and I will probably make a focal point of one of our episodes in the future. Yeah, um, I'd expect that it, in the next month, listeners. Yeah, but it's a, it's a TV movie made by Nick Roeg of obviously Walkabout, uh, Don't Look Now, uh, Man I love your pronunciation of the surname, by the way. I love your pronunciation. Like, he's Welsh. Is it not Nick Roeg? <laughs> you say Roeg? Oh, yeah, Roeg. shit, I've always said Nick Roeg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, I have. But you know, listeners are very familiar with how bad I am at naming, so... Yeah. Uh, okay. So Nick Rogue's full body massage. We, it was. It was. Um, yeah. It's a film that we. I think we should do at some point, Joe. Shouldn't we? We will. And yeah. I just want to give a big shout out for Jack for coming back with that because we had a lot of answers to this question, but this was the only one whereby I was able to look at the Wikipedia page and find out that not only was Nick Rogue, who was responsible for a lot of great movies, responsible for this ostensibly tr- trashy piece of shit. But the composer is uh, Harry Gregson Williams from uh, MGS2. And I'm like, wow, that's like, where did that come from? So that might be the number one shout, maybe of all time, for like a great director um, directing a terrible movie. So big up, Jack. Thank you for that. That was uh, was a really great answer. That's that's one hell of a link to get to um, Julie Christie to Solid Snake, isn't it? You know, six degrees of separation. But I realised, yeah. didn't Kiefer Sutherland do the voice in Metal Gear Solid Five? He did, yeah. Yeah. But wait, so you're not you're not confusing a... Kiefer and Donald Sutherland, are you? No, no, no. no. But he's the son of Donald, who obviously was in Don't Look Now with Julie Christie. That was like I was thinking, like, wait, Kiefer is the son of Donald? Yes. I didn't even know that. <laughs> wait, are you taking the piss? I'm serious. I didn't know that. That's a huge Hold gap. On, for me. Got I didn't know. That. You is got, that true? Hold on. That is I'm, wild. I have to double check that. I and love Donald and I love Keith as well. So yes, I didn't is, yes. I, I did not know that. Wow. That of course that oh makes sense. God. Now I can see now I can see their faces together. Yeah, the resemblance is uncanny, but I never I never knew that. 
And also, Donald Sutherland has a son called Rogue Sutherland, so I wonder where he got that name from. Oh, hello. <laughs> yeah. Now we're getting into really weird... Yeah, the plot thickens. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's, uh, let's move on to our second film, which um, this film hit me like like an absolute wrecking ball of a movie. The movie is Travolta and Me, a, a made-for-TV French movie by Patricia Mazoui. Mazoui? I don't know how to say it exactly, so I apologize. Uh, Mazoui. Mazoui, I think. Mazoui. There we go. Mazoui. Look, now you're... You, uh, oh, shoe, fuck, yeah. How did that happen? Mazoui. Patricia Mazoui. Now, this was... I was looking at this, like, God, there's a lot of films like this in 93 in France. This was made under the same production um sort of grant as claire denis us go home which if you've not seen that that's a masterpiece and olivia assayas's cold water which mm. is they wanted to make films about sort of teenagers and like teenage sort of like dramas and they got these filmmakers to do it and denis was one assayas was one and masui was another yes um, this film, uh, I'll set up the plot here. In the nineteenth, in the sorry, in the late seventies, a French teenage girl is, is obsessed with the then popular American heartthrob, John Travolta. That's all there is on the letterbox synopsis. This is <laughs> this movie. I would describe as feral. Like this is a feral movie. I, I think you nailed it. Yeah, this, yeah. This young girl. She. Um, this. All right. Let's go through a little bit more of the plot. There's a boy uh, who sees this girl on the bus. I think he's called Jerome, and he starts talking to Christine, and he's just like he makes a bet with his friend, like I bet you I can sleep with this girl, and he's just like yeah yeah whatever. So then he goes up to her and starts like talking to her, and he arranges a date for the next day. The young girl goes home, Christine, and her family runs the bakery, and her mum and dad are going off the next day, so she's been asked to look after the bakery, and she's like oh no 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 I don't want to blah it's going to ruin my day. And she's like, no, no, you have to. So she has to look after the bakery, tries to get her friend to get the boy to come there. Um, mm. And it's this kind of... Uh, do you know what it reminded me of? It kind of reminded me of Uncut Gems a little bit, like the sort of when loads of people are going into the diamond store. And yeah, like it's got that same manic energy, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's it's got this energy where you're like, is this boy going to turn up? Eventually he does. You know, and then there's a birthday party she wants to go to at an ice skating rink um, mm. as well on the same day, even though she thinks it's kind of lame as well. Bloody you hell. Know, it's got, what a sequence. Yeah. <laughs> what a sequence indeed. Like, the whole movie is like, it captures the feeling of being a teenager really oh, well. Of like, your, your hormones going off, you're changing, you're passionately fighting for one thing and you're passionately fighting for another. Like, everything's like this mega reaction. Everything is like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. I, I adored this movie. Poor. Gareth, I've, I've, I've set you up poorly here. Give me your, your thoughts, your initial thoughts <laughs> on Travolta and me before we dive in further. No, you, you haven't set me up poorly at all. But, but the one thing you have done is kind of cover anyth- anything and everything I would have said about it. I think your oh, immediate, <laughs> your yeah, yeah, you fucked up, man. Uh, that, 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 <laughs> that initial description, though, and you came out the blocks with that before I'd seen it, where you're like, "This movie's feral," and it's a five star yeah. classic. I was like, "Whoa, okay," that kind of yeah. set me up. But yeah, you know, I was, you know, in my normal way, I was like, you know, a bit cynical. I was a bit like, "All right, well, okay. let's see what this has got," you know. And I knew nothing about it. 
except a, a bit of information that apparently you didn't know, which I was surprised about, given the fact that you and I are big fans of the the Joker Men podcast and they've the mm. Bob Dylan podcast that has now pivoted towards John Cale. And the only reason I know about the director of this movie is that she's collaborated extensively with John Cale. Um, so when I was wow. looking at John Cale's discography in like uh, like 2018 or something, I was like, oh, I've got to cross off, you know, X, Y, Z off the list. I was like, oh, he's done all these soundtracks, has he? And, and, um, and uh, yeah, she came up. I was like, wow, that's, that's fucking incredible. So, but I never knew any of her films. And this one, weirdly, doesn't appear in her Wikipedia filmography. Uh, because it's uh and i know why now because I've, I've done a bit of reading about it and i've now finally seen it it's because it was a made for tv movie and you were right mm. you you, estab- you established it right it was um part of a program strand of the melbourne international film festival which uh oh. roped in um people like ackerman and uh Aseus and uh, desplashan uh, who came up in our first episode where we talked about the Roshan movie, uh, which I think I'll he wrote. Yeah, uh, we're, we're really going back now. Um, okay, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it basically got all of like the new, new Novel Vague uh, French New Wave filmmakers together and said, right, write a film about your youth um, and kind of make it... This is the bit I'm a little bit confused about and I haven't really got clarification on this, but I think it was made for TV... I think it was made for TV despite being like part of this like uh, program strand of a film festival. And uh, yeah. I do have a quote, I do have a quote in my notes where uh, uh, Mazui uh, talks about the colors of the movie. And I think you'll probably mm. respond well to this where she says, well, I couldn't have made it for, for film in the way that it looks like it's, it's too kitsch, you know, the, 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 the colors are too vibrant. They're too overbearing. Mm. Um, so that, that kind of betrays its roots as a TV movie. But what I will say, and this is the part that blew me the fuck away and absolutely does not, um, betray its roots as a TV movie actually puts it up in the top tier of, of kind of, um, a very select group, I admit, but those shorter films, uh, it's almost like the video game equivalent of a double A video game where it's like a 10-hour experience rather than a 60-hour experience. It's maybe not made with a huge budget. You know, it's slightly reined mm. in a little bit budget-wise. And there's not really many examples. There's a lot of examples of that in British TV and cinema, but not yeah. in European for me. Like. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's a good That's a good one. So I felt like I was seeing... Uh, an, I, was, I was uncovering, let's say, a new area in cinema that I'd not done before, which is, yes, acclaimed, not well-seen independent filmmaker with a hell of a lot of potential and a hell of a lot of skill, but doing something not to not to the scale she would typically work at doing. And like mm. I said, she talks about her quote verbatim is like, this, these, this coloration looks too kitsch for cinema. Um, but what isn't, uh, what isn't apparent in its kind of TV movie origins is what I'm long-windedly getting around saying is the fucking form and the style of the thing. I mean, it is at a pace, isn't it? It just whips. Like the camera movement. Like you said, I think that's why your description of it, as I said at the beginning of this tirade, was so accurate. It's feral. It's ferocious. Um, in the mm. way it's, and, and it's clearly channeled towards capturing those really conflicting and almost, you know, inscrutable emotions of, of teen life. Uh, mm. And it does that formally in a way that I was like, 
I mean, this this could have easily punched its weight with with uh, stuff like a uh, Band Apart and you know some of the, the uh, uh, some of the early Truffaut films as well, mm. like where where like the form and the radicalness of the form is capturing the feeling of being a teenager. You know what mm. what we talked about with the Rochon film in the first episode was we liked the fact that the milieu was kind of disaffected French youth, and that is repeated here. But what the Rochon film didn't capture was the stylistic feeling of that emotion, emotional landscape. Mm. And what this film captures is very much that. Like it, yes. every camera move, every pan, turning every fucking like uh, a claustrophobic environment into this like uh, crazy canvas of emotions and and feelings and 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 form is 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 what mm. this movie really really captures really well. Uh, that absolutely for me supersedes its origins as a tv movie um but i've said too much i i wanted to know from your perspective joe i'm sure you have things to say about it but like what did you feel like what was the thing what was the core element of this film that really most resonated with you because i think for me it was that i think it's the ability of the film to like project something internal like it does project the teenage angst incredibly well the sort of wild uh, mood swings that you go through as a teenager is like when you because the characters here are all kind of like 15 16 ish and it's like oh I'm, cu- I'm close to being an adult but it's like you're not really you know i always thought that of myself where i'm like oh i'm 18 now i'm kind of like an adult and i'm like Mm-mm, no i got to 20 i'm like oh, i wasn't an adult and then i got to 23 and i'm like yeah i still wasn't an adult and yeah it was only so when I was relatable 26 yeah. yeah when i was 25 26 i'm like i'm kind of an adult now yeah um so nailed I think it. That that's, nailed it yeah i think i think that was kind of the thing i got where like you know that kind of like pretentious boy who's like I'm above this and I'm so much older and more mature than every one of you and it's like you're the exact same age of them it's just that you've read Nietzsche or like mm. you really enjoy reading Nietzsche and I, and I, I like just to cut your brief I, I like the way that the film captures his pretension as a kind of side part but its emotional core is more about how she reacts to that and her mm. fascination with that so that so I'm I'm talking in vague terms and I, I would like to, but the protagonist of this movie, uh, the girl who this movie is about, the film is much more preoccupied and is much more uh, formally getting into the headspace of her reacting to his pretension than it is yeah. dealing with his pretension, which I think is such a nice. I, I wouldn't say subversive, but I way prefer that. You know, there's there's way too many films, and Godard made most of them, about, like, the pretension of um, the male, alpha male, uh, philosophical, philosophically-minded, uh, handsome mm. archetype. But this film flips on its script. It's almost like a feminist uh, reinterpretation of, of that uh, backdrop because it's more about how she instantly falls in love with that and she knows it's ridiculous she knows he's mm. full of shit but she loves him all the same because he's different and because he's talking he he's quoting um you know a french poets and uh, and nietzsche mm. nietzschean philosophy and stuff like that and and i'd never and this might be betraying my own ignorance a little bit more but that might that that just gave this film a, a unique flavor that i'd not had before which is oh i'm seeing it from the other perspective now and what a mm. rich telling of the other perspective it turned out to be. But yeah, sorry for sorry yeah. for cutting you off, Joe. No, no, you didn't cut me off at all. You didn't cut me off at all. Like that that was Yeah, it was just so like impressive the 
the kind of I mean how how do I even describe I mean it's, it's do you know what the problem for me is with the movie is like I can't directly relate to those feelings of like being a teenage girl like of course I can't but how she projects that through the cinema of like you know she keeps the camera very close to her you know she's following her at all points you know it kind of reminds me a bit of like an Andrea Arnold film like how she uses the camera to be right up in people's faces like something like Fish Tank, for example, and actually that would make uh, a, a very good do, comparison for this movie. Do, do you do you feel female pictures do that more? I feel that they do. I feel like there's always a bit of a remove where a male director is directing the psyche of a male um, archetype. There's a bit of detachment, mm. ironic detachment. I feel like what the best female filmmakers do. Uh, Ackerman's a good example. Denis is a good example. Uh, where they they're unflinching. They 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 yeah. really force you into the perspective of that. And that's what I think Anno does uh, for his male protagonist in Japanese in the Japanese uh, live action films and animation films he makes. So there's there's more of a willingness to commit to the psychology of the characters almost like from a feminist perspective in movies like this. I feel. Do you know what? That's actually quite interesting. And now that you've mentioned that of like female filmmakers doing that there's more male filmmakers that will reference claire denis as a reference but none of them are as unflinching about men as she is or actually people as she is and it's always hidden behind the veneer of the sort of um one car why sort of cinematography references that they try to take instead and i think that that yeah and it's like why why do people quote claire denis as like a reference and then do pretty much none of what she's actually good at exactly ackerman even more so ackerman's uh ackerman's ability to penetrate to a level and uh, and the filmmaker that we referenced in the on ed podcast uh, leda luxundi um the spanish filmmaker um Mm. there that female ability of just like cutting through the bullshit and really just like portraying the psych psycho analytic uh, framework or emotional tapestry of the characters in an unflinching, wholly honest way is a little bit absent from the the equivalent in you know male centric cinema. I don't want to use these gendered terms too mm. much to be meaningless, but just I see character analysis is working in a way for for female filmmakers, and I think this film embodies it beautifully. Like I'll give you an example. This is a really trite example. But it might hold water. The equivalent to this would be something like Submarine by Richard Iowardi doing that adaptation of that novel in the British way. And we don't really know that fucking creepo. Like, we don't we don't know that guy that he's like, you know, who's the protagonist of Submarine. But in this film, my God, we know. And I don't I can't remember her name. You'll have to remind me of the name, Joe, if you can remember. But what the uh, the actress it, the not character. the well, just the character or the actress, yeah, either Christine. one. Christine, yeah, Christine. I mean, we know Christine because because mm. the camera and the filmmaking and the 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 filmmakers, uh, Mazwi is so comfortable just being like, "This is how it is." Like this, there's a realness to a picture like this that I don't feel mm. there is to like a Wes Anderson or an Iowadi. You know, like I feel like right, that ironic right, right. remove. Ups- not upsets me, but it, it, I'm not really interested in that. I want the real take, and I feel like this film gives the real take. Is that too that's, that's... wild an assertion, or did you feel the same? I don't know, actually. Now that you've mentioned it, I'm like, what male filmmakers hit that same 
spot and yeah. there are some that there are some that do it that but it tends to be like i think their form is something that gets praised more than what they actually do with the characters like all right let's again let's i agree a big example but like oh, someone like scorsese scorsese where he makes a film like the age of innocence which is one of the most emotionally violent movies ever made and it's a yes complete yes, heartbreaker and one of the great but people are like oh yeah and the form of like oh the costumes it's like yeah just missing the point a bit whereas yeah maybe maybe you are right with like ackerman and denny that they will get to the heart of it i know that the film after sun got a lot of praise for that as well i personally found it a bit obscured through the form and sure. that's why i didn't totally jive with that movie i know that there's people that loved it well that well that that is a great point isn't it because you have to have the two working in tandem it's all well and good that you understand the you understand implicitly and explicitly the emotional uh, tapestry and psychological backdrop and makeup of your characters but if you can't mm. portray that formally you, you you're not making the film you want to make whereas Mazui in this film is not only attuned to the characters it is unflinching in her portrayal of a very mm. specific female teen milieu but she is r- depicting that in a way that formally not only emphasizes and articulates and expresses that but like brings mm. it to life in a way that you know the likes of you and i would never have known if we hadn't seen a movie like this you know? yeah and, i mean and, and also i'll say this in terms of plotting as well like there were two points in the movie that i won't spoil directly but i was just like i can't believe she's going there i can't believe she's doing this i'll say it in a general term but how the young girl gets out of working in the bakery for that day so she can go to the party <laughs> yeah that's i was one. like yeah. there's no way she can't <laughs> be and it's like oh no wild. she is she is she's quite literally doing it and it, yeah it's wild what she's doing is wild what she's doing is feral it's got no thought to it it's just an it's an impulsive act and then at the end, when she goes to the ice rink, and we'll go through the ice rink sequence in a little bit more detail, but at the end, when the boy uh, and her eventually do have sex, and they have it at the the ice rink, you know, hidden behind a curtain, and then mm. what he does afterwards, because he feels like this is what he would do, because this is what Nietzsche would do, maybe, or this is, what, this is how I feel yeah. right now, and I'm going to act out this impulse, and he's acting out an impulse. This film depicts impulses, in such a clear, brutal way, and that there's shot a, of like, sorry, there, there's a yeah. I was just, I, I was just going to expand on what you said. There's a there's a quote um, which uh, a critic who talks about this movie invoked, and I, I think it, it really represents what you're talking about now. And and it's uh, there's a quote from Robert Ben Ayoun, and it says, um, and I think it embodies the, the film very beautifully. It says the normal qualities of youth, naivete idealism, humour, hatred of tradition, uh, Mm. erotomania, and a sense of injustice. And these are very disparate concepts and ideas, but these are what the film is so effective at articulating. And I think that goes into what you were saying. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I I, I think it was incredible. Now, let's go through the ice rink sequence where she does go to the the birthday party. And people turn up. First off, um, Joey, the music, is, <laughs> Joey. First off, the music is incredible in the whole film, like the use of the BGs and whatever else when she's playing it at the bakery. But when she turns up to the ice rink and people are <laughs> skating, doing ice to 
to Bob Dylan's Joey from the album. It, can I just say, listeners, and for Joe's sake as well, I genuinely thought when that kicked in, I was like, this is, Joe has chosen this movie so that we can soft launch our Bob Dylan podcast. Because <laughs> why else would that just randomly turn up? But what a great I couldn't choice. believe it. Well, at the beginning of the movie, it shows like the artist used, and it says like Bob Dylan. I'm like, oh, Bob Dylan. Oh, excellent. Mm, I wonder what they all. That's right. I wonder what. Oh, is it that like is the best Stone? part of the movie. Actually, where it's like Bee Gees, Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones. You're like, fuck, this movie's gonna. Oh, yeah. Like. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And then, and then it's like, oh, okay. And then they chose <laughs> Joey. Like, it was such a weird choice. It was such an odd, odd choice. But an authentic but, choice, you know, because it was at the time. Yeah. You know, it's time-wise, yeah, it's well, perfect. I, yeah. Well, it kind of tells you then that, okay, this film was probably set in, like, 1977. Because if it was 78, you'd have, obviously, Changing of the Guard playing instead of Joey. But, like, it's... Natural moi. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I love that part of it. But also, like, she's just going around and she's like, no, I want to leave. Like, she gets there and she's like, no, I want to leave. I want to leave. And then she's like, no, no, stay inside. So, she stays. And Again, that sort of mood swings that they capture. And then the dance that she does with the ice skating instructor who's like russian and she's being a bit cheeky towards him and he's just like yeah i know what you're doing like i'll allow it for this because it's you know it'll mean that you'll stay and you'll have a nice time but this is as far as this is going to go because there's a part of me as well that's like oh what is this going to be where the relationship starts is this the relationship we're going to have and again masui just turns it where she's like no 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 just make you think it for a moment and like no, actually we're not going to have that because the man is ultimately an adult yes she's just, how old is she she's like 16 or 17 in this movie yeah it's yeah just like i so like okay he he's willing to acknowledge like you can have your flirtatious moment with me but that's it um and just how he is framed next to these people where it's like he's got such like a grace and elegance to oh, his movement and also some some of the to... some of the best filmmaking I've seen in like in yes. anything, like the way yeah. he glides and like there, there's a there's an anime that is that I really really fell for um, back in 2016 called Yuri on Ice, and one of the yeah. reasons why that anime is so good is because it it's so graceful in the way it kind of animates the uh, the beauty of like figure skating and I I don't know oh. like maybe you can say oh. Gareth needs to get into figure skating because he's clearly into that. No, like the fil- the way that that is shot, like it looks mm. incredible. And in this film as well, like she's clearly um, as we enamored by his gracefulness, like uh, like kind of gliding around the ice rink, and mm. and so is Christine as well. So you know, so it makes sense for her to portray it in that way. But the camera moves, and that- another good one that does that is uh, Somewhere by Sofia Coppola um, yes, when Dakota. Yes. Is uh, not Dakota. Yeah, well, El Fanning. Sorry, yeah, when El Fanning is El Fanning. Sorry, is, yeah, it, yeah, when El Fanning is going around the rink, it's like God. That is that is actually like a great form of Kino. Just having the camera like track the ice skater and and, and going yeah. around the rink, and it just looks fantastic. And in this movie, you know, in the in sync with the rest of the movie, it is like the camera moves like I compared it when I text you tonight to like Scorsese where I'm like every camera move is deliberate but it's wild it's like cocaine yeah. wild um yeah. and, I, and I really respected that you know yeah I almost expected a little bit of a a kind of uh, uh stately a little bit stayed a, a little bit not you know like oh well it's it's a bit pretentious there's a bit of a remove 
But what Masui does in this film is like, no, we're going whole hog. Like every camera mover is gonna is gonna be a whip pan, and it's gonna be mm. like full of emotion, and and like it's gonna yeah. take you as an audience from one image to the next in a really you know dizzying way. And I just thought she handled that brilliantly, and she really pushes the boat out to to achieve that as well. What, what's your rating? I'm going to give it a four only on the basis that it's my first film by her. And I think given the scope of a full film, she can go even higher. So I'm going to accept what I've read about this movie, which is her saying, you know what? This was just my made for TV movie. I can go better. But mm. in the framework of what it was, um, I, a film made for television, how can you get better? I mean, she no. destroyed me emotionally. Um, she made me feel for all the characters the formalism was on a level I've not been so excited about since I saw uh, Playtime by Tati Um, Mm. like I was just I was like this is this isn't just formidable this is like this is like exciting you know I was I was absolutely smitten with it so I'll give it four just because it's a little bit abrupt at the end and you know there's probably more that she can do I, 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 I like to sometimes give ratings to say you know what in, a, in and of its context, that's a five, but you can do more and I can see you do mm. more. So I'm hoping her her films, her her feature lens that I, I now go on to see will realise that potential. Um, so a four, but for what it was, it's as good as a five. It's, it's, it's a perfect thing for an hour-long movie and more movies mm. should be made at that level. They should be made an hour long. They should have a very specific... Uh, idea of what the movie is and then just go formally buck wild to realize that idea as well we don't see enough of that you know like i said it's like the 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 double a version of video games where it's like the 10 hour video game we need more of those kind of like mid-tier works because that's where you get a lot of the most compelling experimentation and uh Mm. form formidable results as well that's why i gave this five stars it's just the it's a formidable piece it's an intense piece of work as well and that's just why i've just so swept away with it as well and the ability to for me to watch a movie and go like it can't be going to this place and it's it's literally going full-on headfirst into it with just absolute abandon for any sense of like grace goodwill whatever else like you know, there's this thing online now about using the word grace and like you got to give people grace and whatever else. This film doesn't bother with that. It's just full on, you know, boot on your throat. I am going to batter you with this movie. Hell yeah. And I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, yeah, five stars for me. And I can't wait to watch more of her work and Yoichi Sai's work. And I feel like we'll probably come back to him on this podcast at some stage. Maybe we not will, in episode yeah. format, but in some sort of any other business way which is we um, definitely will like the the, some of the kale um the john kale uh, soundtracks to some of her features are like absolutely gorgeous like for not only fans of his work but for people who just like good uh scores in movies Mm. um so that attached to a film because we didn't even talk about it like the music in this film is unbelievably good like yeah um, how deep is your love Incredible. is one of my favorite songs ever and it appears like five <laughs> times in this movie so fucking what Brilliant. if you like disco and you like shit like that like watch this movie like and i and i love the way again it formally resonates because it's it's not just like oh we're putting in this period music to make it feel like a period piece um they're putting it in because that is the stuff that the character is into 
at the time and it has something to say about the character's mindset you know in a really authentic way you know that can be very much like a i'm gonna do it you know like the classic tarantino soundtrack like i'm just gonna put the most obscure cool 60s music in in the film and it's like mm. no this film doesn't do that it it puts it's very more it's very much more deliberate about the way it puts music in the film um mm. but it ends up with shit like we talked about joey and and BGs and Rolling Stones, which just sounds incredible and really elevates the film. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Right, listeners, we're going to wrap it up, I think. You can contact us at 10tbhardrivepod at gmail.com. You can contact us on Instagram. What's the Instagram again? I forgot the uh, the official. It's the same, 10 terabyte hard drive. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, you can join us, uh, contact us there. Like, subscribe, pass it on to your friends. Films are in the link below in the mega link so you can enjoy them there um next week's episode is a special one listeners uh you are gonna hear two men go absolutely puck wild for bob dylan uh that's right we are doing dennis hopper's catch fire which stars bob dylan uh, i believe some other acts musical acts as well i can't quite remember who but i don't want to spoil that for myself actually so i'm gonna withhold that from myself you can dive in listeners and have a look later if you want uh we're going to do that and what a treat for you me and gareth we're going joker boys we're going joker men we're going to rank our top 10 dylan albums post 1966 so and actually to be honest even if i included those i don't think those albums would be in there that's right if you like blonde on blonde go fuck yourself yeah you ain't part of this podcast yeah don't come back to me um Anyway, Catch Fire, that'll be on next week. That'll be in the link below as well for you as well, listeners. Gareth, is there anything else you want to say? Anything you want to plug or talk about? No, I think I think we've done quite an extensive episode. Um, I will just say Thanks. that, yeah, but, but before before you guys get into the next one, please do follow the Instagram. Um, mm. A lot of the elements of the discussion that we've had today, we'll, we'll find some, some ways to, uh, you know, turn some content uh, out of that or churn some content out of that um, in yeah. the same way that we got the greatest response to the best film sorry the worst film ever made by a great director I do want to kind mm. of continue that so you know I'm, we've hit 50 followers now yeah it seems yes. like a modest number but we're if you rolling. guys want to keep yeah we're rolling now we're rolling so if you guys want to come in <laughs> and tell us uh, of some other obscure Yakuza films that we should have been talking about which we weren't yeah or some other films that you just want to hear us do in future, you know, we, we take that feedback on board and, you know, please please engage with us as much or as little as you want to. I've got a question for the listeners. What's your least favourite Bob Dylan album? That's that's the question. Oh, yeah. So if we're doing the Dylan link, that's a great one. That's a great one. Yes. Because, listeners, a spoiler, I don't think Joe and I feel the same about that one, so... <laughs> nice to hear some alternative <laughs> perspectives. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, this album's crap. Actually, it's very good. That's what you're going to get next week. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of that. You're going to hate it. <laughs> anyway, Gareth, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Joe. Pleasure. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with Dennis Hopper's Catch Fire. Uh, see you then. Because we're living in a world of dust, breaking us down.